inspiring interviews with today's top landlords. This is the Rental Income Podcast. And now, Dan Lane. My guest on the podcast today recently did something that's really pretty incredible. He worked out a deal where he got a free rental property. So I want to get some details and figure out how he did this. We're also going to talk to him today about his portfolio. He doesn't get a lot of turnover. His tenants really don't leave him very often. So I want to see if we can figure out what he's doing and how he gets tenants to stay. With that being said, he recently did have some turnover. So I want to see how that went and how that affected his cash flow. And we're also going to talk to him today about the market. Uh, He's really plugged into the market, and I want to see where he sees the market going from here and what he predicts is going to happen in the future. So let's take a real quick break. We'll thank our sponsors. We'll come right back and we'll meet Rich Levine from Maryland. The first step in buying a rental property is to get pre-qualified. And I would suggest you work with a lender that specializes in working with investors because the last thing you want to have happen is to get to closing and find out the money's not there and you can't close. The lender that I recommend is Chaley Ridge from Ridge Lending Group. She's a nationwide lender, and she'll pre-qualify you for free if you mention Rental Income Podcast. Find out more today. Contact Chaley at RidgeLendingGroup.com. That's R-I-D-G-E LendingGroup.com. NMLS 42056. Are you looking for actionable steps to create wealth and passive income? As a top-ranked business and investing podcast with over 800 five-star reviews, the Passive Real Estate Investing Show is packed with strategies and insight for putting money in your pocket. Marco Santarelli from Narada Real Estate Investments brings his expertise and knowledge on both passive and turnkey real estate investing, and he provides listeners with helpful tools and tips to create the wealth you've always wanted. Head over to iTunes or Google Play today and subscribe to Passive Real Estate Investing Podcast or visit PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. That's PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. Hey, Rich, welcome back to the podcast. So this is your third appearance on the show. Great to be here. I, I feel like it's a Saturday Night Live five hosting club. Do I, I, I want a jack or something? <laughs> yeah, Thank we got to get you on. something. Definitely. Definitely. So for anyone that <laughs> no, hasn't you. heard your your first two appearances, why don't you just give us a just a real quick background so everyone knows who you are? Sure. Um, I am in the D.C. metro area and got into real estate um, around the time the market crashed. I just didn't see a lot of value during the run up and um, probably missed out on opportunity, but certainly missed out on a lot of risk. Um, started buying rentals in 08, 09 after the market crashed in, in Herndon, Virginia. Acquired um, a number of, of townhomes there and slowly over time have identified other assets and um, and spots where I wanted to dive in. And um, now I'm up to about 26 rentals and um, that's, you know, that's one piece of what I do. I occasionally flip a home and I am a hard money lender and lend, uh, lend to people locally in the D.C. metro area for short term projects. Now, one of the things that I I love about the way that you run your rentals is that you don't seem to have a lot of turnover. What are you doing to find tenants that are staying for a really long time? Um, That's a a great question. Um, In the Herndon market, that was a fallout from the subprime mess. So what happened was those people uh, were entrenched in that area to begin with. They made a business decision that paying um, 
although they were paying double the amount of rent um, and highly levered, just didn't make sense for them during during the run up. It made sense because their property values were going up and up and up. But when it all shook out, they walked out their front door and walked into the house next door as a rental for half the price. And mm-hmm. they just kind of stayed put in that spot. Um, I have six single family homes in the Montgomery County area outside of D.C., and I always require a 700 credit borrower. I just, I just, I just need to have somebody with good credit. And I have them. I give them a small break if they do an ACH auto payment. And what that does for me is guarantees the rent, um, so to speak, and makes it out of sight, out of mind for them. And I feel like if they cut a check every month, they think more and more about their rent. Whereas yeah. if they just kind of are on autopilot, they don't. Um, And then there's a management company in place for 12 condos that are owned in um, Gaithersburg and that, you know, that ebbs and flows. Sometimes they're long term and and it's great. And other times there's turnover, which, you know, happened this year and and that happens. Yeah. So let's talk about this. So as much as you you've really minimized your your turnover in the last year, you've had, I guess, several of your units turnover. Has it was it really Mm -hmm. costly when when your tenants left? Um, well, it's always costly, but, um, in in particular, um, I mentioned those 12 condos, they were on autopilot for years and the tenants were just kind of staying put last year. Um, three or four of them turned over. Um, you know, that's life. It just happened to hit at the same time. Um, I get distributions from the manager each month and then, and the distribution started getting lower and lower for several months because a, there was vacancy. B, when they turn over, I have to have them repainted and carpeted. Um, And then other, you know, ticky tacky things just so happen to happen at the same time, a few HVAC units and whatever. So the cash flow was down um, on those. But, you know, you can't time when it's going to hit. Um, It just happened to hit at once. Uh, Life goes on. And hopefully this year is very much smooth sailing on on those units. So Um, so it happens. When they turned over, like you never had to actually kick in any money to get things going your distributions from your manager just were lower that's right so So, um let's say the 12 units net of everything you know um spit in eight thousand uh a month let's call it and there's debt and there's different things Mm -hmm. against it um taxes that have to be paid the distributions just boom it was two thousand what's well what's going on well a couple of them are vacant a couple of them had some um carpet and and other repairs. It's a lot of out of sight, out of mind because there is a manager in place. But for several months, the distributions were just simply low. Mm -hmm. I did not have to kick in because that manager keeps a a small reserve per unit. I don't even think we tapped into that. What, What really ended up happening was nothing hit all in the same month. It just over the course of the year, there were a few vacancies, a few turnovers and a few repair items that just uh, crushed cash flow. Right. Um, but no, I did not have to kick in per se. Now on the debt side, the, 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 the payments were always due. They always got paid. So I'm sure there were payments that were higher than what I received in, Right. but it's just part of the bigger machine. But I guess like that's really one of the benefits of having a bigger portfolio like you have is that you have so much cash flow that you're not having to dip into savings when you have a couple of bad Absolutely. months. So that, that's, that's great. Um, now one of the yep. other things that you've done recently is you've kind of moved up market in the rentals that you're buying. Um, tell us, tell mm-hmm. us what you're doing. Well, I, I, my goal has always been to buy, um, 
single family homes or, or properties that hit the one percent rule for people that don't know what that is you know one um, percent of the purchase price so if it's two hundred fifty thousand it rents for twenty five hundred that that's the goal um, those deals are just simply very very hard to find in the DC metro area they exist in in nooks and crannies of, of bad pockets or condos or different things but generally hard to hit um, I had an opportunity to buy a home in Bethesda, Maryland, which is a very high-end, nice area, very, very good property, and I could buy it for six fifty. And I could have sold it, I could have flipped it, but if I flipped it immediately and made a good amount of money, I would have owed taxes. I would have been right back to square one and wondering what to deploy in or what to do. So I decided to hold it. Um, that property was six hundred fifty thousand. It rents for thirty six hundred a month. The numbers are not great. But it's such an incredibly good asset. I couldn't turn down the long-term um, play of just holding it. Right. So I bought that, and I had another property that um, was a little bit better than what I normally buy. And of course, um, shortly after I bought it, they announced a Wegmans is coming in nearby. It's not far from Metro, and the value has gone up. I, I could sell it, but I just don't want to because I just see – um, a lot of these assets have a lot of improvements going on all around yeah. them. That tends to be happening actually in the DC metro area these days in, in areas that are 30, 40, 60 years old. Um, so I'm just holding, I'm playing yeah. that holding game and, um, and I'm okay moving up market if the property is right. Yeah. You know, I feel like a lot of times as rental investors, we really get focused on cash flow. but when you're in a good area like that, that is growing and developing that there is a lot of potential, a lot of upside for appreciation. So it, it sounds like yeah. you're, you're, and it's interesting on on that property. Um, just so your listeners know, um, you know, people think about equity. Well, if I buy something for six fifty, I need one hundred thirty thousand. If I buy something for a hundred thousand, I only need ten or twenty. That property appraised for eight hundred. I didn't take a traditional Fannie Mae loan. My bank gave me six hundred against it. So I was able to have six hundred k of of kind of you know capitalization. Um, less than 10% down. And that's with a non-traditional non-Fannie Mae product. Um, and that was good. I saw my dollars in on that house is only 50, 60,000. So I am getting a return on my equity. Um, but I didn't have to drain, you know, drain funds to, to dive into that property. Mm -hmm. So if you can buy a good property at a good enough price, your bank in many ways, uh, and many times could, um, could give you the capitalization that will make it, um, more desirable for you. Right. Now, let's talk about, uh, I think, the most exciting thing that I've heard in a, a long time about the free house that you recently got, the free rental. <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing's free. Nothing's right. free. Um, I had an opportunity in, where I own those condos. Um, a lot of the condos were owned by investors in an investor group. So there was very small amount of there was a very small amount of distress. The reason why the prices plummeted and why I started buying there had to do with a fallout of Fannie Mae and FHA financing. In other words, an end user really couldn't buy it unless they paid cash. So I knew a group that owned 11 condos um, in, in the in the complex, and I was a buyer around 90. They were liquid around 110-ish, but they didn't want to go through selling them off one by one. So I said, look, I can pay you a million dollars for the 11 condos. So it was 91000 mm -hmm. a piece. I knew a lot of friends of mine that were like, hey, if you ever get a condo there at a good price, let me know. I'd buy them. So I turned to a couple investors that I know. I said, do you want to buy these units? I'll sell them to you for 100000 a piece. They cash flow. They're good. They rent for 1300 They have condo fees and taxes and this and that. But generally speaking, they're pretty good and there's a lot of upside. 
So I was able to sell 10 of those units off at a hundred thousand a piece. Um, that was a million dollars for 10 of them. But remember I bought 11. Mm -hmm. So I basically got the last unit for free. I cherry picked the unit that I wanted and I did it. So think of it as like a wholesale deal. So I have the contract. I got the 11 under contract. I sell off 10. We all went to the table at the same time. The seller didn't care. They got their million dollars. And, um, and for me, basically I had a fee on each of the 10 that money was applied to the 11th. It was still income to me. I mean, it was still, it's not not free. I owe tax on the purchase, but it, 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 it was a good unit that, that, that fell out kind of into my lap just by being a little bit creative and making the deal happen. And you never had a close on the other 10 properties. Like you really just wholesaled them. No, no. So what I did was I had a contract for 11 of the properties and we had an individual HUD for each of them. Um, the HUD had the purchase price of 91079, whatever it worked out to mathematically. Mm-hmm. The delta between that and the 100 was the assignment fee to me. Um, and then I closed on the last one with basically a credit of all those assignment fees. Um, so, no, I, I didn't That's have to incredible. close on all of them. We, you know, we, we closed. Everybody closed simultaneously. It was blind. It was, well, it wasn't blind to the seller, but it was. It was negligible. It, didn't, it was of no consequence to a seller because they got what they expected. Right, right. And for me and the people that bought it knew exactly what I was getting out of the deal. There was nothing um, hidden. Yeah. They just, you know, everybody was happy. And that's, that's the great. Of a, of a pretty good deal. Now, how has it been working yeah. out so far? <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny one. Um, so I, the buyers that took the 10, I told them, hey, I'm going to cherry pick one unit for myself. And I did. I took a two mm-hmm. bedroom, two bath that had been rented for 1600 a month, a little bit higher than normal. And I cherry picked it. Nobody cared. Everybody was fine with that notion. I took that one because they had had a, a tenant in there for six years. I hadn't left. had never been late. And right after I bought it, that tenant vacated. Oh, so, wow. you know, Murphy's Law. <laughs> right, it's right. totally fine. And, and, and it's rented now. And um, that, that's Murphy's Law. And another interesting thing with that unit in particular, the air conditioning went bad about two weeks before I bought it. And the seller says, hey, this air conditioning's bad in your unit. I said, you know, it's July. Your tenant's in there at 100 degrees. You got to fix right. it. It's not my not not my fault. So it did come with a new HVAC. So I guess you know all spare. Yeah, you know, right. It all balanced out. And did you get it re-rented for 1600 again? Yeah, I think it's okay. rented for 1585, okay. and, and okay. that happened within about two months. Okay. Well, that that's great. 1585 with no mortgage, and of course you've got taxes and the HOA fee and all that. But that yep. that's that's a great yep. deal. That is really awesome. It's a it's it's a really good deal. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, that was the whole reason why I held it. Um, you know, at fifteen eighty five less, you know, a lot called five hundred a month of condo fees and taxes and this and management fees. It, let's say that thing pays ten thousand a year net of everything. Mm-hmm. If I had taken in the ninety of assignments, what would I have? I wasn't going to find anything that good. Right, so no. you know, holding it, it was just a good investment yeah. overall. That is really awesome. Now, let's yeah. break out your crystal ball. So if you work in finance. I mean, you're doing hard money loans as your, your main business, and you're pretty attuned to the market. Where do, you, where do you think things are going from here? Like, should investors be concerned? I think investors should be concerned. I think it's a very odd time. You have um, short-term rates that are actually pretty high. They've driven up kind of variable rates, people to have arms, adjustables, LIBORs, people like me who use line of credit, lines of credit. Long-term rates have actually held relatively low. So it's what you call a flat year, almost an inverted yield curve. Mm-hmm. It's bizarre in that sense, um, which has been fine because investors that are buying are still getting the same long-term rates that they're 
accustomed to, four and a half, five percent type of stuff. It, this it can't stay like this forever. Rates are rising. Something has got to give. The value proposition on rentals has shifted. It's gotten a little more expensive to buy, yet prices haven't decreased at all. Right. So I am kind of in a kind of holding pattern, sitting back watching because there are so many investors out there. There's so many chefs in the kitchen that it makes it very hard to find a good deal. And it won't be until there's a shakeout of some sort that opportunity really starts presenting itself in this market. You know, right. there's different markets in the Midwest that always have opportunity. But in this market, especially in the metropolitan areas, the prices have been um, – they just are starting to not make sense. They're, they're similar in a sense to 07, 06, but the crash um, capability, the crash uh, tendency is much, much lower because um, the numbers aren't quite as out of whack and and lending is somewhat – it's a lot tighter than it used to be. You still have – back then you could – you know, just have a, a pulse and a credit score and be fine. So there are things in place to prevent um, what we saw 10 years ago. But I do think something has to deflate. And I'm not sure what it is, when it is. I'm just kind of in a in a holding pattern. And I could be wrong. I know a yeah. lot of people that um, felt this way in D.C. three, four years ago, and prices continued to go up and up right. and up. So none of us know for sure. Yeah, It just feels something feels I go with my gut something feels a little bit pricey right yeah. now now do you think that there might have to be some adjustments made to the one percent rule as rates rise because I mean the one percent rule works great when rates are five six maybe even seven percent but if rates were to go up to like eight or nine percent for investment properties do you think the one percent rule would maybe not apply anymore so that's a good question. I think that the 1% rule would go – things would change dramatically if rates went to 8 9 10%. Okay? Mm. And I don't think they are um, going to. Um, we don't have a lot of inflation. There are different things that are sort of in check in the economy. Um, not many listeners remember the early eighties. I was kind of a kid, but I do remember rates being 15, 17%. My mom putting money for me in a CD at 12%. Things were completely – uh, things have to adjust when and if that occurs. I mm -hmm. think we're going to stay in in a stabilization range with rates between call it four and a half and six and a half percent, and that's kind of a normal range. If things go, if if rates long term go to nine ten percent, then yes, prices have to adjust because it comes down to affordability. Interestingly enough, I read an article recently about rising rate environments and house prices. And a lot of people would think rates rise, prices have to drop. And that's somewhat true, but there's there's other variables in play when you have rising wages, different things coming into play. And in past cycles where rates have gone up, um, property hasn't fallen the way people thought it would. So I'm not exactly sure what will happen. I feel like right now the value proposition is a little bit um, – a little. it's just not as desirable as I'd yeah. like. I certainly hope it expands. Right. But you are buying, right? I mean you've you bought places recently. like So you're not – so concerned that you're selling off your portfolio, right? No, I'm not selling. Um, I, I will always be a buyer. I'm just a buyer at the right price. Right, okay. Um, and and that's those are metrics I try to determine. If I get an opportunity that I think is a good value, I'm a buyer. Yeah. Because I always feel like if it's good enough value, I can I can sell it if I want it. I have options. Right. What I don't want to do is back, my, back myself into a corner on a property where the only option is 
is renting it. I have to buy it well enough that if I don't love the deal, I've got a little padding to sell it. Yeah. 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 I think that's really good. But I don't good. sell anything right. anyway. So. Right. Right. Now, as we kind of wrap things up, I, I want to talk about one other deal that you did recently that I, I think is pretty cool. So you bought a beach rental, which is a little bit different than the rest of your properties. And you decided mm-hmm. not to rent it out weekly or nightly on Airbnb. You decided to go with a, a year-round renter. Why did you decide that? Um, that, that that's a wild story. So I, we bought a place for my family to use as a personal residence, non, um, non-business asset. And we had an opportunity to buy something else at the beach, which was exactly where we wanted to be. And we took that opportunity. So I was left with the property that we had. And it was like, oh, my God, well, I, I need to sell this. I need to do something with it. Tried to sell it, but it came to market in October. And, I mean, why would you buy a place at the beach in October? You're going to have to carry right. it through you know, the season. You, you, the time to buy at the beach when everybody buys is kind of February through May. Um, and – about a month or so into it in November, I said, you know, a lot of people are moving to this area and they're buying property to retire at. There has to be demand for people to dip their toe in and rent a nice asset year round. Um, so I listed it for rent uh, as a yearly rental. Um, just to say way back to your question about about the Airbnb and stuff like that, I did not want to do weekly rentals. Um, it would rent quickly, but I, I was moving the furniture to the new property. So a weekly rental needs to be furnished, mm-hmm. and it just wouldn't work as a weekly rental. Um, so we put it on the market, and sure enough, within a week in a dead market in December, we got an applicant that wanted to rent it for a pretty good price. And that price covered everything, and, and it made it um, – it, it made all the numbers work and it right. stopped the bleed, so to speak, on the property. Yeah. So that's what I've done. And so you don't feel like you're leaving a lot of money on the table because you could probably rent it for a much higher amount if you rented it out weekly, right? So I could rent it for a much higher amount weekly in the summer. But my annual monthly rental – so let's just use real numbers. Let's say it would rent for 3000 a week in the summer. That's 36000 mm-hmm. for the summer. Yeah. It's rent for the for the yearly rental is twenty nine ninety five a month. So they basically rent it for the same price for the year as you would for the summer. They right. get the off season for free. However, for me, I don't have tenant transition. I don't have ups and downs. I don't have to provide it furnished. So it nets yeah. to the same spot, but um, but the wear and tear and the other factors aren't aren't there. Um, and it's out of sight, out of mind. And of course, right. I put the guy on ACH auto payment. So. It, the numbers all kind of play out. I, I ultimately, you know, if he wants to stay forever, that's great. If uh, if he wants to buy it, that's okay too. I'm I'm somewhat complacent. Right. It doesn't doesn't matter much, but it was a good back out story of a rental that wasn't yeah. planned to be a rental at all. You know, I I think that you actually made the right call on that one because it's like if you think about it, you, you're probably if you're renting it out weekly, you're probably going to be vacant most of the winter anyway. And yes, you do have a lot of hassle with turning the property over every single week. Yes, definitely. So, yeah, definitely. And and at, at the beach historically long term has slightly better appreciation than other areas. So if I just hold this thing, set it, and forget it, um, it could be very good. My my grandmother bought a property in 1975 for eighty thousand at the beach. It's now owned wow. by my aunts and uncles who are in their eighties, and the property is worth one point three million for the dirt. So <laughs> wow. you never, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was not a wealthy lady. It was just to, um, yeah, just to cover itself and to have a place for family. So 
long periods of time, if you have somebody covering your debt and, and hopefully giving you a little bit of profit, long periods of time, appreciation does kick in. A lot of people who are 40-ish years old say, hey, I bought a property 12 years ago. It hasn't gone up a penny. Let's see what happens in 15 right. years from now because exactly. over very long periods of time, things do um, adjust. Absolutely. Well, Rich, tell us about your business. So if someone is looking to flip houses in the D.C. area and they're looking for short-term financing, you, that that's your specialty. That That's your um, yep. business. Um, what we do is we provide capital to people that are flipping homes. So um, basically, it's short-term capital. Um, a lot of people that are listening probably are looking for longer term capital. Um, we can be a bridge on that. Ultimately, we need to be, you, you don't want to use hard money because it's a little too expensive for that. Um, but we can be a good solution for um, that type of borrower until they get their bank financing in place so they can close quickly. Um, and we help a lot of borrowers um, buy homes, renovate them and flip them where their capital source. And we've helped a lot of people make tens of millions of dollars over the years um, just by being their capital partner. Uh, we provide first trust capital for their homes that they're flipping. And um, our typical loans are one hundred to $700,000 on on property in the D.C. metro area, up to about 50, 75 miles around. We're starting to venture into Pennsylvania and New Jersey through some affiliate relationships that we have. So we're kind of a mid-Atlantic um, private lender. If you are looking for short-term financing on your next property, Definitely reach out to Rich. He would be happy to take a look at it, give you an opinion on it, and go over some of his financing programs. The great thing with Rich is he can close very quickly. So if you find a good deal and you've got to close quick, talk to Rich. He can make it happen and get it done for you. I've got Rich's contact information on the website. You can find it at rentalincomepodcast.com slash episode 194. If you're looking for long-term financing on a rental property, whether it's your very first property or you've got a large portfolio and you're having a hard time getting financing, reach out to Chaley Ridge. She can make it happen. She She's a, a great lender. She's got really competitive rates. She's the, the lender that I recommend, and she's a, a big fan of the Rental Income Podcast, and, and she loves helping listeners get rental properties. If you want to contact Chaley, I've got her contact information on the website. You can find it at rentalincomepodcast.com slash episode 194, or just head over to ridgelendinggroup.com. If you mention Rental Income Podcast, she will waive all of the pre-qualification fees for you. Her NMLS is 42056. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing to the podcast. We'll be back with a new episode next Tuesday. My name is Dan Lane, and this has been the Rental Income Podcast. I've put a lot of time, effort, and money into building my rental portfolio. It's something I'm very proud of, something I want to protect, and something I want to keep in my family for a long time. That's why I put together an estate plan. With Trust and Will, you can create and manage your own custom estate plan starting at just $199. Just go to trustandwill.com RIP and you'll get 10% off plus free document shipping. I thought about doing a will for a long time, but I thought it was going to be very complicated, confusing, and expensive, and I just kept putting it off. Luckily, I found trust and will, and the whole process could not have been easier. My wife and I sat down one Saturday morning over a cup of coffee. We went to trustandwill.com, 
They walked us through a series of questions, and at the end, we got our own state-specific and customized will for our needs. Trust in Will has made estate planning easy and accessible for everybody. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust in Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash RIP. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash RIP. I didn't like the idea that if something were to happen to me, my family was going to struggle financially. I mean, they're still going to have to pay the mortgage payment, car loans, credit cards, and whatever other living expenses they have. So I got life insurance and it gives me a lot of peace of mind to know that they're not going to struggle. They're going to have some time to get back on their feet again. Policy Genius's technology makes it really easy to compare life insurance quotes from the top insurance companies in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. If you have life insurance through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it also might not follow you if you were to leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. One of the things that I love about Policy Genius is that their agents work for you, not for the insurance companies, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. I didn't like the idea that if something were to happen to me, my family was going to struggle financially. I mean, they're still going to have to pay the mortgage payment, car loans, credit cards, and whatever other living expenses they have. So I got life insurance, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind to know that they're not going to struggle. They're going to have some time to get back on their feet again. Policy Genius's technology makes it really easy to compare life insurance quotes from the top insurance companies in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. If you have life insurance through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it also might not follow you if you were to leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. One of the things that I love about Policy Genius is that their agents work for you, not for the insurance companies, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 